Hello and welcome to the Autodidacts Anonymous podcast. My name's Matt and I'm an autodidact. I'm Hado. I also am an autodidact. Oh, you got that out? I did, yes. <laughs> well done. <laughs> um, so, welcome today, Hado. Today we're um, going through the next chapter in Harari's book, Sapiens, and it's the start of a new section of the book because we're talking about the agricultural revolution. Indeed. Uh, up till now, we've been talking about the um, cognitive revolution. So, um, Harari has titled the chapter, History's Biggest Fraud. What are your thoughts on that? Well, it's, uh, Harari's taken a position on this, and when you write a book, you want to make it interesting. Yeah. So, you know, good on him. Yes, it's, uh, it's a tenable position, beyond question. And it gives us some points to discuss, so we're happy with that too. Um, we are, of course, here... Most people would say that at this point we're moving from prehistory to history, yep. as they understand it. Yep. Harari clarified his take on that in an earlier mm. chapter. And I don't think we need to spend any more time on differentiating... Homo sapiens from the other hominids. We can just talk about humans from now right. on, and when we do, we'll be referring to Homo sapiens. That's right. We're the only ones left. We've killed the rest of them. We have. <laughs> okay, so from the beginning, so for two and a half million years, uh, hominids sustained themselves by gathering wild plants and hunting animals. Was that a revelation to you, uh, Hutto? No, no, I think we got that head around that. <laughs> well, interestingly enough, I thought it was two million years. I got a bit surprised with the two and a half million years. I thought he said two million years earlier on. No, what he was saying... Okay, yeah, there, there is... It depends on what point you talk about hominids, but at the point that we came down from the trees and started yeah. walking on two legs, sort of. It's two and there was probably no uh, demarcation point either, so these, these numbers might be a little bit rubbery. Absolutely. Um, now, everything changed about 10,000 years ago when Sapiens' whole lifestyle changed and their whole day essentially started becoming about putting time and effort into manipulating the lives of a few plants and animals to provide their sustenance. Yep. Um, they spent their time sowing seeds, watering plants, weeding and pasturing sheep, for example. Yeah. And this was called the Agricultural Revolution. Mm-hmm. So... The first transition to agriculture began around 9,500 to 8,500 BCE in southeast Turkey, western Iran, and the Levant. Um, a few of the major milestones in the agricultural revolution, around 9,000 BC, wheat and goats were domesticated. Mm-hmm. Uh, around 8,000 BC, peas and lentils. 5,000 BC, olive trees. 4,000 BC, horses. And 3,500 BC, the big one, grapevines. Right. I hadn't realised that uh, olives featured in there so much. Well, they're, they're, they're the ones that he pointed out. I mean, there was obviously other stuff that was domesticated, but I'm glad he got grapevines in there. Yes. Um, even today, most of our calories come from the handful of plants and animals that were domesticated in this time. Yeah. Wheat, rice, maize, corn, potatoes, millet, barley. Um. And nothing of note has been domesticated in the last 2,000 years. Well, I would have thought that we could put coffee and chocolate in there, but in terms of calories in the diet, no, these are... Yes. It depends what you consider to be significant. He's talking sustenance. Yeah. So 
Agriculture, interestingly, uh, historians used to think that it began in one place and then spread around the world, but that's been defunct, yeah. debunked uh, of late. And it actually sprung up in different areas of the world entirely independently. So the first place it sprung up was in the Middle East and Egypt, um, and then China. And then there were a bunch of other places where agriculture was um, invented, if you like, that had no contact with, with any of these people. Now, one, one of the things I do find interesting about that is you've had the cognitive revolution was spread out around the world. Why did it take 60,000 years to get from the cognitive revolution to first farming? I mean, why, very good why couldn't it have happened... 40,000 years earlier. Yes. I, I, once again, my, my uh, history lectures that sometimes I like to listen to online, I had uh, my grumpy old professor who wanted to move down the, the, the beach from his right. wife and kids. Right. Uh, he mentioned that. Yeah. He said, look, a lot of people say, well, why were the Americas so late in coming to agriculture? And he said, what are you talking about? They discovered it within a couple of thousand years or 5,000 years of being yes. here. Yes. Whereas in the Middle East, it took them... 40,000 years or yeah. whatever. Um, I don't know the answer to that, but I just, is, would climate have something to do with it? I can't see why it should. I mean, we're talking about climates all around the world. Yeah. Um, I can accept the argument that in Australia it didn't happen because there were no suitable plants or animals to do it. Yep. Um, the thing I'm wondering is whether it's actually about population densities. In America... They spread out throughout the Americas, and the moment they'd finished spreading out... And they had no hunters and gatherers to worry about. Oh, no, I suppose they did in the early yeah, days. They did. So they all spread out, and yeah. then the agriculture moved in. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So I, I Scrap that it, idea. I think it sits there as, as another of our question marks, and I wanted to preempt that before you put it in. Uh, <laughs> well, you know what? I, it, has, it is something that I had thought about before because of this lecture that I told you about. But it's not something I put in unanswerable questions. It didn't occur to me uh, while I was uh, going through this chapter. So yeah, you've, one, you've added some value. <laughs> <laughs> um, so agriculture sprung up in, in a lot of different areas, including Central America, South America, North America, New Guinea, West Africa, all, now, all completely independently. Now, there is, of course, another conspiracy idea we could drop in here, mm -hmm. which is that Arthur C. Clarke's right. There were interfering aliens who came down and taught us things at specific points in time. So, 10,000 years ago, they started to teach us agriculture. But, but if, it, if it was in... Uh, I don't know when it came into America. Are you saying that they went to the Middle East 10,000 years ago and then went to America 5,000 years ago? You got a better explanation. Uh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sold on that one. <laughs> um, I think it must be... In a, it, it, well, as we go through how it actually was, in, was discovered, yeah. my thoughts are, yeah, that makes sense. And intelligent human beings would probably go down this process. And we're going to talk about that yep, in a lot more detail. True. So let's not get bogged down on it now. Um, and you've already answered this question. You've uh, jumped the gun a bit. But why didn't uh, agriculture and domestication of plants and animals happen in some other areas, such as Australia, Alaska or South Africa? Okay. Well, you do have to have suitable plants and animals available to do it, yeah. and um, of course in America too, they'd already killed off the horses and, and things like that, yeah. so that actually gave them a setback. Mm. Well done, that's right. Um, so the question, 
I think we I think we've traditionally thought the agricultural revolution was a great step forward for humanity, and in one sense it was because it led to a lot of progress and eventually ended up with civilization and and the industrial revolution and all the things that we we enjoy today. Um, and so the 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 idea was essentially that people. The reason they discovered agriculture is that people became so smart that they learned to manipulate plant and animals and they wanted to get away from their previous gruelling, dangerous lifestyle right. of hunting, hunting and gathering. Anthropomorphism at its best. Yeah. Uh, well, progress must be a result of our improving intelligence and yeah, yeah. Yeah. Whereas, you know, you, you know well that it was aliens. <laughs> <laughs> So, yeah, so that's completely untrue and for a couple of reasons. Firstly, people didn't get any smarter right, at that time. And secondly, farmers actually led a much worse lifestyle than hunters and gatherers did. So there wasn't a lot of incentive to, to transition Yeah. when you look at it from a, from a macro point of view. Yeah. Um, hunters, and gatherers ha hunters and gatherers had a more pleasant lifestyle and they actually faced less dangers from starvation and disease. Than, than farmers did. Yeah, he look, he makes that case well, and it's true, of course. I mean, you get potato blight or something, you've got all sorts of problems. But I didn't really get the impression that chasing monkeys through the Amazon jungle for 40,000 years, well, 12,000 years, is a lifestyle I'm sort of dying to take rather than... Yeah, see, see when I picture it, uh, like I said a couple of podcasts ago, I picture it as sitting by the river eating fish. Yeah. So you're living by a river, you're by the sea, you've yes. got plenty of bananas, you've got plenty of fish, and to me, you're living the dream. I mean, in a sense, that's what we work for today, so that we can retire and go and live that lifestyle. I, no, no, I do get the impression when you're talking Garden of Eden stuff, yes, I yes. Think that's what yeah. we're talking now, about. Now, that's uh, a bit of a, a noble, savage, perhaps, view. And, you know, at the end of the day, it, it would have been all of the above, I think. I mean, yes. some people were living large and others were struggling. Yes. Um, but all of them converted, so that's not the explanation as to why we all, you know, went to the agricultural revolution. So... I mean, the bottom line is that the agricultural revolution led to more food. So that's why people had an incentive to, to go down that road. Yeah. But it didn't lead to a better diet or, or lifestyle, no. right? Um, what it did do, though, is it led to population explosions. Yes. So, okay, we've got all this food. Oh, but now we've got all these people that we have to feed. So in a sense, you're no better off. Yeah. Right? Um, it also, of course, which I'm sure you're coming to in a moment, it led to staying put. Yes, yes, yes. So the average farmer worked harder and had a worse diet in return for his labour. And this is essentially why Harari is called the agricultural revolution yeah. history's biggest fraud. Um, I think Harari is absolutely right from the viewpoint of the individual that they made a Faustian bargain. Mm. It looked like more food for less work. It ended up being more food for toil and sweat and loss of interest and greater vulnerability to things like famines and locusts and stuff like that. And in the end, not actually more food because we're more, more mouths to eat. Well, they're definitely more food overall. Yeah. But you then had these bastard rulers come along who say, we'll make you an army. Well, that's my explanation. I mean, I, I would sort of say, look, it's more about the population grew exponentially 
and you've got more food overall, yeah. but it doesn't mean you've got more in your belly. In no. fact, you're, you're eating worse That's exactly than, right. than you were before. You are. Yeah, you've got less diversity, you're working harder at the wrong sort of work that you're not equipped to do. Yeah. It's all bad. So, how did it come about? And Harari argues that it wasn't actually humans that, uh, that brought about this agricultural revolution. So he argues that it was actually a handful of plant species, such as wheat, rice, and potatoes, that domesticated us. Yeah, it's a, it's a whole different take on the Genesis story. It wasn't a snake. It was, <laughs> it was a, a grain of wheat. Yeah. So. <laughs> I, I'm fascinated by that argument, and I think there might be something to it. So I, I completely agree that there's quite a lot to it. Yeah, um, Harari sets out his arguments very cogently. So let's go through some of them. So um, if we look back 10,000 years ago, wheat as a, as a wild grass was struggling. It was confined to a small part of the Middle East. Right? And now it flourishes all over the world. Yeah. So it's evolutionarily, in evolutionary terms, it's, it's, it's been outstandingly successful. Yeah. Um, it's one of the most successful plants in the history of the earth and wheat actually covers 870,000 square miles of the face of the globe. So that's a big step from, you know, Very, uh, a few stalks in the Middle East yeah. only 10,000 years ago. Yeah. And it did this by manipulating humans to its advantage. Yeah. Um, we went from a relatively content ape to a creature that worked dawn to dusk cultivating this grass. Yeah. <laughs> It seduced the women. It's the women's fault. <laughs> oh, oh, might have to edit that bit out. <laughs> so we clear land, weed, water, build fences, guard from predators, even to the point where we would go around and collect animal feces to nourish this grass. Yeah. And uh, it reminds me of a joke that uh, I think it's a Jerry Seinfeld gag, whereas if an alien came down and looked at life on Earth and they saw a man walking his dog and they saw two life forms where one's following around the other one and cleaning it's up its poop. Yeah. <laughs> you know, who's calling the shots? Yeah. And we don't think about it this way, but there's something to that. I think most cats know that, we, that we're there. To <laughs> yeah, they make it fairly obvious, don't yeah. they? Um, now, we hadn't evolved to do this back-breaking work, had I? And we started getting a lot of health problems with um, spines, knees, necks, arches of the feet. Yeah. Slip discs, arthritis, hernia... Welcome aboard. Yep. Um, the other thing was, it was so time consuming that people were actually forced to settle permanently uh, next to their wheat fields. Yep. Um, interestingly, interesting point is the word domesticate comes from the Latin word for house. Yes. And who's living in the house? We are. We're the ones that have been domesticated. We are, absolutely right. And, and that's actually... The surpluses of food generated and the fact that we're confined to living in one place is actually the bedrock of civilization, of course. Yes. This is how wheat made us civilized. A couple of quote marks around that. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, it's, it's, it's interesting. Um, now, how did wheat do this? How did they manipulate us to become such a successful species and making our lives worse in the meantime? Yeah. <laughs> um, they didn't give us a better diet. They didn't give us any economic security um, in the sense that we were, you know, it's not like we had more food in our bellies than we had previously. And certainly not more reliability. No. And 
it didn't provide any physical security against human violence. I mean, other humans are more likely to raid you if you have if you have some you know, bread. Yeah. yeah. Um, fighting over possessions and land became more commonplace. Um, in some places, in some modern, uh, in some early agricultural societies that have been studied in the modern world, up to 50% of male deaths can be attributed to other humans. Yeah. Which is a higher percentage than, than what happened with hunters and gatherers. Uh, probably. We, we've got conflicting logic on that. But of course, one of the things you absolutely do have is increasing possessions since you're not carrying everything You've got something to fight for. That's right. Yeah. And so your land, your possessions, your home is... and. Unfortunately, other humans decide, you know, we'd like that. That looks, that looks a bit of all right, yeah. yeah. Um, now, this, this violence between humans eventually started to get controlled a little bit by larger political structures, such yeah. as states and empires and rulers that you were talking about before. So, you know, that's really their main function. They're, they're the only ones that are allowed to um, exert violence <laughs> on the community. <laughs> Now, it's a, in our modern societies, that's a very last resort, but it's still their main power. Now, you could say that, you know, communities who've got lots of assets decided to band together to create a leader and an army to protect what they've got. Yep. That's one view. Another view is to say the protection racket sprang up. Yeah. If you read, you know, David offering protection for, yep. against... That's what you basically got. That's right. The kings and rulers became the protection racket. That's right. Now, but these didn't spring up for a few thousand years after the agricultural revolution, so they're not an explanation as to why we actually settled down, okay, and became farmers. I didn't didn't realise that. Well, civilisation came along after agriculture, and it was quite a while after. You think the first civilisations were, you know, the first one was in Sumer, which is what? 3,000, 3,500 BCE. We've been on agriculture for 7,000 years. We've asked the question, why did it take so long after the cognitive revolution to start agriculture? And then you can ask the question, and why did it take so long after agriculture Mm. to start civilization? Maybe because we're better off without these things. (laughs) Well, (laughs) that sounds too rational. (laughs) There were some benefits to, to weed. It made, made some parts of our life better. Um, because when we lived in settled communities, we had better protection against the lions and stuff. Yeah. And, and the weather, because we were living in houses. All right, the, 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 particularly the rain and the snow and those sorts of things. Although, of course, when you're trying to protect herds against lions and things, you've really taken on a task. Yeah, but if, if I was... I mean, I would feel safer living in a village than I would be roaming the, sure, the jungles sure. of Africa. Fair, you, you may feel safer living in a village, but <coughs> when you were a hunter-gatherer and you saw some lions, well, you just moved off. When you've got your herd there, you leave the village and go out to protect the herd. Yeah. So you disagree with that then? Well, no, I'm saying... Disagree with that benefit? I'm saying there's two sides to that coin. yeah. yeah. So in a nutshell, um, wheat didn't really offer any benefits to the individual. What it did do is it provided more food for humanity as a whole and it allowed us to multiply exponentially. So it provided an evolutionary advantage rather than a personal advantage. Yes. So the selfish gene wins out. Um, essentially, we were able to replicate more copies of our, our DNA, yeah. albeit under worse um, yeah. conditions. 
And Harari is raising the very interesting question of values. Is life all about copies of DNA and selfish genes? Or is life about things like happiness? And I'm, I've done a lot of thinking about this since he raised the point. Mm. Uh, being a big picture generalist, I'm sort of saying, well, actually, I think it might be about civilization and progress, but mm. I'm not. I, I dislike the fact that that's the logical argument someone from my viewpoint would come up with, which doesn't make it more. Oh, I do think that. So I think that perspective is one that just about everybody takes today. But what we often fail to consider is, is we're all coming from a similar perspective. Exactly right. And I, when I do my thinking, I try to get outside of yep. that perspective. Um, certainly, Wheat was the winner. I don't believe we were the winner. I, be, I believe Harari when he says it was history's biggest fraud. That's a belief, though. It's not a fact. You can, you can have a different opinion. I don't tend to think that humanity is about progress, whereas I think... I don't think that's our purpose, but I think you do. And so we're going to differ on some of these. I haven't... I certainly haven't dismissed it. I certainly question it. I, I love the questioning. We, we do lots of questioning as mm -hmm. autodidacts. Um, I'd certainly agree that from the individual perspective, uh, they were sucked in. Um, wheat, wheat seduced them. <laughs> and, <laughs> that yeah. sexy looking wheat. Yeah, that's right. It did not turn out the way they intended. From the viewpoint of humanity as a whole, though, I, well, we'll, we'll talk about civilization and progress in a bit. So. Yes. So the answer is essentially that we actually didn't make this decision consciously, okay? No. Um, we just got trapped. Yes. Um, the agricultural re revenue revolution, for starters, it happened slowly over, over a few thousand years. So it's not like one day we're hunters and gatherers and the next day we're living in villages no. farming. You know, it happened over the course of many generations. Um, so in the old days, babies for hunters and gatherers were a burden, and so we didn't have them every year. They were yeah. spaced three to four years apart, and they suckled... Uh, from their mother for that time, which gave them nutrients. And, you know, the mother would essentially carry that child for those three or four years, and then they'd start thinking about yes. having another child. Um, the, way, the ways that they decreased their chance of getting pregnant was um, abstinence, some abstinence, um, but even abortions and some infanticide uh, yeah. could take place as well. Yeah. So we look at that from a modern perspective and we think, oh, wow, that's really... That's really uh, savage and you know, yep. uh, terrible. Uh, and, 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 and in a sense, it is. But you know, sometimes you got to do what you got to do as well. Doctor McCoy would not approve. But in point of fact, these sorts of strategies are very normal. Yeah. If you know, if it comes down to, the, to a baby and the tribe. Yeah. You know. Um. So eighteen thousand years ago, the last ice age ended, which led to warmer temperatures and higher rainfall. And this was ideal for Middle Eastern cereal. So this might go back to your question, why did it take so long? Well, you know, the weather conditions weren't really there until 18,000 years ago. That's an important point. And then you can argue that it only took a few thousand years before we started, you know, farming. Um, so the, these cereals are starting to flourish under the, the, the natural weather conditions. People started eating it more because yeah. it was around. And they inadvertently spread its growth to begin with. So... The thing about cereals is you've got to grind and cook them before you eat them, yeah. right? And so you've got to collect them and bring them back to camp, right? right? So when you do that, some of them fall 
yep. on the side of the path yep. that you're walking along and start to grow. Yeah. So over time, the wheat starts to grow more and more abundantly along the human trails. Yeah. And the humans are like, wow, yeah, they yeah. would have noticed that, right? Um, fire was also in use and that would clear away trees and shrubs trees and shrubs, which would allow wheat to get more nutrients, sunlight and water. So over time, if there was wheat everywhere, you could gradually give up your nomadic lifestyle and stay in one place for longer periods of time until, yeah. it, until it eventually became permanent. So the Natufians were the people that lived in the Levant 10,000 years ago. Right? Now, that, they were hunters and gatherers, yeah. but they had a large proportion of... Um, farming and agriculture going on in their lifestyle. So they're living a hybrid lifestyle, right? Uh, they spent a lot of time cultivating and gathering wild cereals. Um, then one fateful day, I don't know who the genius was, but they discovered they should keep some of the harvest for planting the next season. And they also discovered sowing as opposed to scattering seeds. They realised yeah. if you dig it under the ground, you know, you can get better results. So that led to more work, hoeing, ploughing, etc. Uh, which meant less time to hunt and gather. So with time, they're slowly becoming more dependent on this cereal. Now, as, as I understand the, the current state of research slash mythology on this, um, the idea is that the men like to do the hunting part better because physically we are more equipped for it. The women are burdened with looking after children and stuff like that more. Yep. Um, so the women were kind of around the campfire and got to grinding some wheat and whatever and made the connection between where the plants fall and yeah. where the plants grow. Uh, yeah, where they grow the next That's year. Right. And so this is why we get words like nursery applying to plants. Oh, as well as, yeah. yes. Because the early role of making small things grow actually fell to the women. In a sense, it replaced the gathering of plants. Yes, Correct. Yeah. So women might have, women po probably discovered agriculture. Yeah, that, that's the suggestion. And it might have been the worst uh, thing and they ever did for the sake of their gender. Well, whatever. Anyway, in due course, the guys actually cottoned on to the fact that this was producing a lot of their food source, and so we started to get technological and then bent plows and take it over and say, you know, agriculture is men's business. But <laughs> you look at a lot of societies... The early days of agriculture, you actually see the women very heavily involved in doing it, okay. and the men sort of saying, "Oh no, that's that's women's business. We'll uh, we go hunt." So, in 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 the space of one thousand to fifteen hundred years, the Natufians basically um, changed from being hunters and gatherers to being full time farmers. Yeah. So that basically, I, I mean, I, I had never read something like that before. That's the process how whereby agriculture came about. I mean, normally you just read, oh, and then the agriculture yeah. happened and you don't sort of get yeah. the detail, which I found interesting. I, I do find that so very plausible. It's, Absolutely. Yeah, it, it's, it hangs together beautifully. It, it does. It really does. Um, so by 8500 BCE, the Middle East, Middle East had many farming vill villages, uh, such as Jericho. Fun fact, Jericho is the oldest constantly settled town in the world. Right. Hmm. You didn't know that. I uh, didn't. I like it when I know things that you don't. <laughs> I shouldn't tell you them because now you know them. Um, the popula no. population began to grow as women they now, now start having a child every year. Yeah. You're right. Huge difference. Yeah. So there is enough food to feed a child every year and an extra pair of hands in the fields is 
advantageous. Yes. Um, the women didn't have to wean uh, babies for three or four years. They could feed them porridge and gruel. Yeah. Which probably wasn't he as healthy for the baby. No, it's not. Mm. And it should be healthier for the woman, except she gets pregnant again. Yes, so, exactly. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So extra mouths soon ate the surplus food supply. Child mortality soared, so they were less well-nourished and there were more diseases due to the domesticated animals. Yeah. Um, apparently one in three people died before the age of 20 around this time. Not just domesticated animals. Um, when you've got human dwellings... Yeah, in close together, proximity. That's right. And, you know, unless you've got some good sewage systems or something... Yes. Got... Yeah. Um, but humans kept having more and more children. And over time, the Faustian Pact, which you referred to before, mm -hmm. made with wheat, became more and more of a burden for the humans. Mm -hmm. Um, between 9500 and 8500 BCE in Jericho, the average life was becoming much harder. harder. But nobody realised it was happening. It's happening slowly. I mean, I grew up in, the, in Jericho in 8500 BC. I don't know that my ancestors there a thousand years previously no. lived a better life. Right? No writing, you know, all no. that. So people don't understand the full consequences of their decisions. And, and that applies. I think that's the story of history. Yes. I mean, sometimes you can get frustrated with people for making stupid decisions. But you can be the most intelligent, thoughtful person in the world, and you're still not going to understand the full consequences of your and decisions. We're sitting here today in the middle of COVID-19, and you know we're trying to see three months ahead what the consequences are going to be. Yeah, yeah. So humans had no idea, dear, in 9500 BC, that the population was going to increase. Just grief. <laughs> they just thought they were going to have more food. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> or that a lean year would uh, lead to starvation and, and famine and stuff. Yeah. You know, they just um, didn't know that stuff. And by the time they knew it, it was too late right. to get I out. I mean, a locust was just something you ate. Yeah. You you were trying to raise yeah. crops. I mean, I suppose what you could have done is, let's say you live in Jericho and there's 500 people in there and you go, ah, oh, we want to go back hunting and gathering. Right, who's the 450 people that are going to volunteer <laughs> to be put to death? <laughs> so, yeah. so the last 50 can uh, go back uh, shooting yeah. bows, bows and arrows. Um Harari draws, a, I think, a good metaphor, uh, which maps to the current day, and that's our use of email. When, when you and I are old enough to remember when email wasn't a thing and when it first came in, and we all thought, you know, oh my God, this is going to save me so much time. I don't have to pick up the phone and talk to people necessarily. Yeah. You know, it's easy uh, to write I mean, a note. That, I mean, that writing letters and memes. Yeah, I mean, before our time even. I mean, we had phones, of course, yeah. but, you know, a couple hundred years before. I, I always, you'd be writing letters once a month to people. I always hated handwriting. I was actually taught to write Calligraphy. with a dip pen. I mean, just... <laughs> Such a useful skill. Oh, <laughs> um, so what we thought was going to be this great labour-saving device. I mean, it's, it's bogged us down. I mean, you, you, you go to work in the morning, you've got 100, 100 emails, oh. and you can take your four hours to get through them. Not, not half. I mean, I killed 70 before breakfast and <laughs> hardly made any impression on the pack. Um, yeah, and the problem is that expectations keep rising. Yeah. And then, then what happens is it's like people start arguing for different platforms. I've got to get off email. It's too clogged up. So yeah. then you go to a, like a bulletin board or a oh. chat room or something. SMS and is. And yeah, and then that becomes clogged yeah. up. So, you know, I, it's, a, it's a good metaphor for, for agriculture. It's like, oh, my God, it seems such a good idea at the time and make our lives better, but it actually hasn't. But now we don't remember that it, our lives Correct. aren't better. And, and, of course, initially, 
for the first early adopters, there is a temporary advantage. Yeah. But you don't think about long term what happens when the rest catch up. Yeah. Yeah. Less being my own kids or something. Yeah. So that's the explanation for the agricultural revolution. It's essentially the quest for an easier life, which didn't turn out, right? Indeed. Now there's another explanation, all right? Um, which might, which there is evidence to suggest that it may have come about due to religious reasons. Yeah. Right? So I think I think Harari draws the analogy between World War Two. So in a thousand years' time, if there's no records of World War Two. Historians will probably assume that it was fought over um, resources, you know, land or something like that. Yeah. But it wasn't fought over. You know, it wasn't really fought over that at all. It was fought over ideology and you know, a lot of a lot of more complicated things. So yeah. sometimes things can be more complicated than what we know looking back when there's no real yeah. records. Okay? I um, I'm not sure that World War Two is a particularly good example, but certainly during Europe, for you know, we had religious wars for ages and yonks. Yeah. Um, yeah, there was some, we saw something there too, but a lot of the motivation was simply religious yeah. dispute between Catholics, Protestants and whoever. Yeah. yeah. And this is the thing about archaeology, I mean you're drawing. As soon as you see a um, like something like Stonehenge, you assume that it had some kind of religious reason. Now it probably did. But it might have been a fun park. I mean, you know, who knows? We, we don't really know what it was. Could, we can only draw conclusions. Could be pure artistry, that's right. Yeah. So in 1995, archaeologists found a site in eastern Turkey from about 10,000 years ago that was similar to Stonehenge, like a, basically a monument, right? Yeah. And um, it was pretty amazing because the people that built it weren't agricultural settlers. No. As opposed to Stonehenge. That was built, I think, 2,500 years ago and the people were farming. But hunters and gatherers have built in this huge yeah. monument and it would have taken labourers, you know, thousands of labourers, many years to yes. build. Um, so um, what's going on there? And it appears that maybe the settlement, if you like, built up around the monument rather than a monument yeah, coming after around. the settlement. Yeah. Yes. So there happened to be, the first wheat was basically grown about 20 kilometres away from this site. So that's, that sort of indicates, okay, this is some kind of religious place to give thanks and, and so forth for the, for the harvest. That's what it tends to assume. Uh, but, yeah, once again, that's, a, that's an assumption. Um, all right, so that's the, that's the plant side of the equation. Now we can talk about the real victims well, of the... Oh, sorry. Yeah, the, the, that, that site, it's getting quite a lot of coverage on the net, etc. now, because it, it really is a summoning block. And, you know, you can get your Eric von Daniken, Chariots of the God type stuff in, you know, why Stonehenge, why this site, why the Nasdaq lines and stuff like that. Yeah. And they're very good questions. And unfortunately, the stuff we need to interpret them is... is oh, you don't go back to aliens again, eh? No, but... What I'm saying is, you can see why you can put an alien conspiracy in there and it makes a sort of sense, because we don't have any better answers. Uh, look, I think we can say that it was within man's capability to build it. So, I think what we don't yeah. know is, is why they built yes. it. Yes. And, and I think it really, for religious reasons, is I mean, that makes sense to me. Oh, I don't have a problem with that explanation. I, I'm not questioning for a moment that... The men have built this. The question is, is the why, the motivation. So, I mean, this, this is a non-trivial motivation. It's very hard to tie this in with survival. Yes. Um, so... It's a shared myth. 
Yes, it, it's it's clear that it's a very powerful shared myth. Yeah, which we know has driven our behaviour. You know, ever since we, you know, ever since the cognitive revolution. Yes, and that's become so distressing when the myth is lost to history. Yes, yeah, that's a good way to put it. Um, so we've been through the steps of how plants were domesticated. I'll, I'll quickly go through the steps on how animals were domesticated. We'll use sheep as an example, right? Mm -hmm. and, and Harari gives a, a, a similarly a good explanation as to how this came about. So humans probably started out hunting sheep uh, back in the day, and they probably stuck to the adult rams and the old or sick sheep because they didn't want to kill all the sheep because they wanted to be able to kill some sheep the next year. Yep. All right? So they probably spared the fertile females and young lambs maybe for the next year. Um, then it gets to the point where they go, Ooh, hang on, there's too many wolves eating these sheep. We need to defend these sheep against the wolves. Yeah. And so they sort of banded together and started driving away lions and wolves yeah. and also rival humans as well. Yeah. Then they probably did something like, oh, you know, it's getting a bit hard to keep track of them. Let's yeah. corral them into this, uh, you know, into this closed area so that, you know, we can keep a better eye on them and defend them better. And, oh, you know, these sheep are getting a bit hard to deal with. Let's kill the ones that are, that are misbehaving. Yeah. Let's kill the ones that wander around and that are curious. Yeah. Um, and let's kill the skinny ones because, you know, they're not good to us. <laughs> yeah. In fact, if you kill the outliers, you create the herd. The ones in the middle are the ones who are the same. That's exactly what happened, yeah. So with each passing generation, the more favourable characteristics for us, not for the sheep, um, became more predominant. Yeah. And soon you have fatter, more submissive and less independent sheep. Voila, you're a sheep farmer. Yay. <laughs> that makes sense to me. Absolutely. Perfectly good explanation. So I'd never had that explained to me before either. It's just, oh, we domesticated sheep. And one of the other things which doesn't get particular mention in this book, but if you find yourself trying to do the subsistence thing, one of the first things you notice is I've got no thread. Um, thread, ropes are vitally important string. Um, you can make bows with them. Yep. You can make clothes with them. You can sew with them, all sorts of things. If you haven't got that, it's a problem. Now, sheep and some other creatures give you a lovely thread which you can use. You yep. can also get it from mm. cotton, etc. Yep. These become vitally important. I mean, one of the problems for the Australian Aborigines and the reasons why they didn't have bows and arrows yep. is there was nothing to make a thread from. Yeah. So threads are made from gut, are they? That you can try making them from sinews and from guts. Yeah. Um, that's quite strong, but they're not easy to tie together. Right. Um, cotton works very well. Silk, of course, was used. Yeah. And, uh, of course, wool has always been a, yeah. a wonderful coat. So these animals were used for a lot of different purposes, yeah. not just meat. Meat, wool, milk, you know, and all the rest of it. Um, there's, an, there's another explanation, and maybe both of these things happened, you know, uh, simultaneously, but um, maybe hunters caught a lamb and adopted it. Yeah. And thought, oh, hang on, it's only a little lamb, I'll fatten it and I'll kill it later when it grows up. Um, as that started to pay off, they're like, oh, I'll get two lambs this time, I'll get three lambs this time, and it just became more of a common thing. Well, it, particularly when you've got uh, dogs, you've already done much the same thing with dogs, and then you can... But we, we don't kill dogs for meat, though, do we? Or 
No, we don't kill the dogs for meat, no. but we've, you know, we've already adopted little puppies and turned Oh, yeah, yeah, thing. yeah. So you've now got animals hanging around the campsite, etc. Yeah. So joining some little lambs in there, etc. Yeah. Some little chickens starts to become natural. Things. That's right. But and then but then you go, oh well, I might as well breed these lambs so yeah. that I've got some, you know, more lambs and voila, once again, you're a sheep farmer. <laughs> well, again, lambs are very cute, but sheep. Yeah, they're very edible. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. <laughs> yeah, they're not, they're not as cute. Yeah, yeah, sheep aren't that cute. Really. Lambs are very cute. Um, the other use for animals uh, was they provided a lot of muscle power to help with the, the heavy work of ploughing the fields. So they yeah. came in very handy for that as well, like um, yeah, um, cattle. Yes. Really. Um so evolutionarily speaking, these animals are like wheat. I mean, they've done amazingly well. So 10,000 years ago, there were only a few million of these, these yeah. creatures running around in the Middle East, mostly. Um, so you can see why this started in the Middle East, because they had all the, the natural ingredients to make it work. Yes. But um, today the world has a billion cows, a billion sheep, a billion pigs, and more than 25 billion chickens. So they've been enormously successful, these creatures, Hello. And in terms of... DNA selfish genes, yes, although of course we've weeded a large number of genes out of them to make them more docile and fatter and yeah. sorts of things. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, obviously domesticated animals tend to have a pretty atrocious lifestyle as a rule. So, yeah. They often get mutilated. I mean, you can cut a pig's nose off so he doesn't sniff around and wander around. You can uh, gouge his eyes out and all this sort of stuff happens. Yeah. Um, other examples are dairy cows. They're kept almost constantly pregnant uh, to keep them lactating. Yeah. And their calves can be slaughtered, for yeah. example. Um, males tend to get slaughtered for their meat. Uh, or there's other, other little tricks you can do, which are a bit nasty. You can keep the calves near their mothers, but prevent them from suckling too much milk. Yeah. Uh, some tribes have killed calves and then stuffed them and presented them to the mother to keep the milk flowing. Yeah. Um, I can see you cringing as I'm sort of reading some of this stuff out. Um, some tribes even went as far as to smear the stuffed calves with their mother's urine. Yeah. Um, or you can tie a ring of thorns around a calf's mouth so that it hurts the mother when they suckle. Yeah. Um, pets tend to be treated better, um, but you can still argue against the ethics of, oh, of having pets. They're certainly not... Well, they're, they're a bit like us. I mean, I mean if, you, if you released your pet dog into the wild, it wouldn't survive five minutes. But that doesn't mean it's ethical to, to you know, have this creature imprisoned, essentially. Correct. Um, we, um, we now, many people are affectionate towards their animals, of course. Yeah, yeah. Um, but then, on the flip side, many slaveholders were also very affectionate with their slaves yes. and could even fall in love with them. Man's inhumanity to man is no less man's inhumanity to creatures. Um, I, I, I actually think it is. So I, I think our inhumanity to animals now is going to be the new slavery. Um, I think we look back now on slavery and we can't believe that we, people thought like that. And we like to think that if we were in that time of day that we'd be different. Now we're not because yeah. this stuff's going around... In my mind, this stuff's happening today and no one's batting an eyelid, right? Well, it, um, most people aren't extraordinary. Most people just think what the people okay. around them Look, think. The, this is the vegan argument and I must admit, Harari, as usual, 
made his case brilliantly. I looked at that photo of a poor little calf that never gets to live outside its box, so it can't... I'm listening to the audiobook, so I, I didn't see the photo. Ah, okay. Mm. Well, but I'm probably happy I didn't. Well, yes, I mean, I looked at this and I said, you know, I, I am stuck on how much the happiness of chickens as against the happiness of humans or the life is concerned, but even so, I don't consider the happiness of chickens to be utterly unimportant. Yeah. And so when you're talking about, you know, 25 billion chickens or something, you're... Living, yeah. living terrible, miserable yeah, lives. Yeah, absolutely. Um, now, I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a meat eater, but I'm also a hypocrite. I mean, it's hard to justify it ethically. And as I spend more time thinking about these things, I wouldn't be surprised if I, if I change that in the future. Well, religions had strange views on this. I mean, sacred cows to Hinduism and things like that. Um, the Jews, only certain creatures are clean, so sheep are okay, but you know, pigs are not. Um, it's, we haven't really got any sort of ethical stance on this that no. makes a lot of sense. And there are philosophers, uh, the famous Australian philosopher Peter Singer is big on, on, on this, so if you're interested in finding out more, he's a good guy to, to, to look up. He's a, he was the chair of philosophy at Princeton, I'm not sure if he still holds that position. Um, yeah, well, it's, it's a topic I've got to look further into because my chicken problem is really... Oh, <laughs> <me. laughs> good luck with that. Um, another quick aside is, is kings and prophets tended, tended to style themselves as shepherds. Yes. Is, which might be an unfortunate metaphor. Well, this, this was along the lines of making sure that the people behaved like sheep. Um, we've still got politicians who like that idea today. Yeah, yeah. Um, so as you've stated a number of times, there's a big difference between evolutionary success and individual suffering. Um, and I think we've got a lot of work to do in terms of learning that lesson. We have. Look, I, I don't see life as being the be-all and end-all of anything. Uh -huh. I don't see happiness as being the be-all and end-all of anything. Yeah. Um, and I don't see civilization progress as necessarily being the be-all and end-all of anything either. It's an interesting... Yeah. This is why ethics and, and these sorts of questions are, are tough. Yes. Um, so I can start asking you some unanswerable questions, unless you wanted something else you wanted to add. No, we're far away. We're... Now, we might have covered some of this stuff in, in, in the context of our chat, but my first question is, did we domesticate wheat or did wheat domesticate us? Well, it was certainly a Faustian bargain. Um, we, we thought we were going to get something out of it that at the individual farm level we clearly didn't. And wheat, wheat thought it was going to get something out of it, which in one sense it did, yeah. but it's had a high cost. I mean, we yeah. now have got rid of so many different versions of wild wheat, it's not funny. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I think the viewpoint that we domesticated wheat implies some agency on our part, some conscious decision to go down that road. Yeah. Now, as we've just discussed, that never actually took place. No. So I think Harari's argument that wheat domesticated us is, is, is just as good as, as the common uh, theory that we domesticated wheat. I agree. Yeah. In the, in, the, in the modern day, is war over land obsolete? And, and, and to give a bit of background on that, so 
back in the day, once we certainly once we got into the agricultural revolution, it was all about land. I mean, like we were talking about before, people had incentive to, to take other people's stuff, right? And certainly their land. That was yeah. how wealth was measured in, in agricultural societies and that's where the power came from, etc. Yeah. And if you wanted to be a more powerful king throughout most of history, the only way to do that was to get more land. Absolutely. And the, and the only way to do that was to go in and fight a war. Yeah. And I think World War Two was a bit like that. Hitler Hitler did want to go in and take over more, at least in Europe. Leave because, around. Yeah, leave, leave us around. But I think it was a very 19th century mentality. I think it takes us time to adjust. I think since the Industrial Revolution, you probably don't even need to do that. And I think the Southeast Asian tigers in the post-World War, countries like Singapore, Hong Kong, Japan, these countries that became super rich and successful, they didn't do it by having a lot of land. They did it by being good business people. Okay. And so that's why war over land to me is, it's just a bad habit that we need to get over. <laughs> I'll put two opposing views here. One is, <clears throat> and we're going to cover it when we look at money and stuff yeah. like that. Um, it, one of the reasons the Jews, the Rothschilds, etc. became so successful with money was they were prevented from owning land in places like England, yes. etc. So therefore they became good. They couldn't be merchants, they couldn't do land. They became very good at dealing with money. And yeah. nowadays, of course, a lot of the world's wealth is in intellectual property, technology, brand names, stuff like this. So land is certainly a lot less important than it used to be. On the other hand, one of the key resources we're still looking for is water. Yeah. And of course we've had all the oil stuff that used to go on and part of the reason Hitler went down into the Caucasus was he was after oil. Um, but you can get these resources by other means. You can buy them. No. You have a look, for example, at the Rohingyas. The Rohingyas need some land. Have a look at the Palestinians. Their problem is we've been kicked off our land. Oh, yeah, I, oh, yeah, I do agree. I do yeah. agree. Yeah. Um, we've got so many nations, the Kurds, you know, everybody wants a homeland. Yeah. Um, land... We're not making any more of it. So you don't think it's obsolete? I think land is still one of the... Land and things like water resources are still one of the really big mm. issues we have on this planet. Yeah, I, I, think, I think people wanting a homeland, I, I agree with you, right? And the Palestinians and, and stuff that you mentioned, yeah, I agree. But, I mean, I'm Australian. For us to go and invade New Zealand because we want their land just doesn't make any sense. It's more costly. We could, I could go and buy property in New Zealand. Sure. But let, you know, why are they burning down the Amazon rainforest? They want to farm it. They need some land. Um, you know, land is still the mm. thing we're not making any more of. So yeah. we're looking at environmental degradation, loss of habitat is the word. What does that actually mean? More people are moving in and trying to turn jungle into yeah. usable land. Yeah. Okay, next question. Was the agricultural revolution humanity's biggest mistake? Yeah, <clears throat> that's a great question, mainly because humanity's made so many great mistakes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, to put it to the top of the list, yeah, might be tough, yeah. Um, look, in some ways, the agricultural revolution was one of the best mistakes we ever made because it gave rise to civilization. But in another sense, yes, unquestionably, Harari makes his case that it was a pretty darn big mistake which has ruined 
millions and millions and millions of lives. Yeah, yeah, yep. Um, now, do you see a connection between the mistakes that humans make today regarding the rat race trap that we tend to fall into of career, mortgages, you know, families, you know, for want of a better example? Um, do you think the career trap, the money trap, are we making the same mistake that we made? We made the if if we want to take the agricultural revolution and the stake, are we? Yeah, in our own lives today, do we make similar mistakes? We do. Look, we've we've got the same emotional makeup and motivations, and we fall for the same sort of allure. Yeah. Um. Yeah. I. Yeah. Look, what do we do? I mean. You need you need money, for example, to to be able to live a good life in a in a modern society. And the career is one way to a good way to get that. Yep. And it is a trap, though. It is. A, look, it, in many ways, we do know better now, but we keep selling it because that's the way we want the majority of people to yeah. behave. You know, yeah. the idea. Work hard now, do your career, etc., etc. You'll have a great retirement. Yeah. Um, yeah. And you can sit by the river and eat fish. That's the one. <laughs> yep. <laughs> um, have domesticated animals been successful? Well, I think the cats have been hugely successful at domesticating us. Yeah. Um, yeah. Dogs. Dogs have got a lot out of it. We've got a lot out of it, but uh, it's. We've also both paid a high price. So you're talking about pets there. Uh, what yeah. about what about chickens, uh, cows, and sheep? Because you can't argue about their evolutionary success. Correct. Um, look, I mean, sheep have taken over Australia and New Zealand too, at the cost of a lot of other animals. Um, look, it does depend on the extent to which you consider happiness to be more important than being alive. And this is another of my. My big question is, you know, the white rhinoceros is now extinct. Um, there's still some living species, but that's not going no longer viable. Um, the are you less happy if you don't exist than being miserable? <laughs> <laughs> How do you evaluate that one? Yeah, yeah, that's a good that's a good way to put it. Um, my last question, and possibly most controversial. Is the way we treat animals today going to be regarded in the future the way we currently regard slavery? I think you may have hit a nail on the head there, Matt. I think there's considerable likelihood. I mean, if we look back at our environmental activities along with our warlike and slavery activities over the last 10,000 years, it's all a pretty appalling record. Yeah. And I do think we really could do farming a lot more humanely, curious words. The, the problem being there's not as much money in it. Correct. It's, it's all about greed and money. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, slave, slavery is great if you're only concerned with greed and money. And money's not even real. I know, but it makes the world go round. It does. <sighs> Crazy, isn't it? When you start thinking about these issues, yeah, it's, it's right. really interesting. Yeah. I mean, we, in a sense, we're going back to first principles on a lot of things that you just take for granted. Yes. You know, this is normal. Yes. Uh, but it's not when you think about it. This is what autodidacts are doing. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's a good answer, John, and I, I agree with you. Um, so that's my last 
unanswerable question and you answered them all as usual. So you'll get a gig next time we, we catch up. <laughs> I live to fight another day. <laughs> so thank you very much uh, for your time and um, I'll see you next time. I look forward to it. All right. On the flip flop. <laughs> Yay!